Hi, this is Brian Sutton, and you're listening to Bluegrass Jam Along, the podcast for anyone and everyone who plays bluegrass. Hey everyone, and welcome to a really special edition of Bluegrass Jam Along. This is the 100th episode, and to celebrate, we've got a fantastic interview coming up with Brian Sutton, the one and only Brian Sutton, um, and it was a pleasure to record, and I really hope you enjoy it. Um, but first, I just want to say thanks to each and every one of you who's downloaded this and jammed along and sent me feedback and told their friends about it and interacted with me on social platforms, sent me messages. When I started this back in March, sort of six months ago, I had no idea it would get this far or be this much fun or be such a cool project to be involved with. And it's just been a pleasure. Um, so thanks to each and every one of you. It's it's a real thrill to do this. Um I also want to thank a few people who've been really supportive of the podcast, um, particularly Alan, Bob and Paul at the Facebook Bluegrass Guitar Group and all the members there who've just supported me throughout all of this and engaged it all and just welcomed me in and made me feel like part of the family, which has been amazing. Thanks, guys. Um, everybody at Mandolin Cafe, which I've been a member of for longer than I care to remember. Such a great resource, such a great place to go for information. Um, yeah, thanks to you guys too. Um, all my fellow students on Brian Sutton's Artist Works Flat Pit Guitar Course, they're just a great bunch to chat to, a great bunch to hang out virtually with, and a great community to be part of, and that's sort of testament to Brian as much as anything, but we'll be talking about that a bit later. Um, I want to thank John Lawless at Bluegrass today for supporting the podcast right from the start. Thanks, John. Um, it's It meant a lot. And uh, yeah, finally, I just want to thank Zan, my latest um, contributor through the website people have been supporting this podcast and it's been lovely to see um so thank you uh, but that's it this is not going to be a long speech uh, i just wanted to thank a few people and just let you know how much i appreciate everything people have done so without any further ado we're going to get on to the brian sutton interview now i'm going to presume if you're listening to a podcast about playing bluegrass you've got an idea who brian sutton is if you don't brian sutton is a grammy winning guitar player who has 10 times won the IBMA Guitarist of the Year award and to give you a sense of what that means if you look at the last 15 years of that award it's easier to spot the years he hasn't won it than the years he has Uh, it's like looking at a list of the French Open tennis men's singles winners over the past 15 years and looking for the years where it doesn't say Rafael Nadal Um, it's an incredible achievement and it's testament to an incredible musician but He's just as committed and talented a teacher as he is a guitarist, and that's one of the things we talk about in the interview. Um, He's been doing it for over a decade now and goes deep into what he can do to help people be better musicians, and I think this will be a good listen for you, whatever instrument you play. Um, It's not really an interview about guitar, it's an interview about being a musical human being and the things you can bring to that to give you a better experience. Uh, It was a huge joy to record um, Brian is just is great to talk to about this stuff um, so I will leave it at that and we will go on with the interview so enjoy it um, I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed making it and I will let Brian speak for himself so Brian Sutton welcome to the podcast it's great to have you here thank you Matt um, I, what I thought would be great uh is, and so I guess most people won't know this, but Brian is also my guitar teacher. I'm an artist works student on the Flatpick course um, and have been for about a year now. And I think the thing that um, I was 
partly surprised by, but just really impressed by, was that the depth of your commitment and insights and sort of engagement with teaching is as deep as your commitment to being a musician. And I hadn't expected that. Um, and it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing. And I'd really like to talk a bit from that perspective as well. Um, sure. There's a great podcast you did with Everyone Loves Guitar that covers a lot of your career. And that was done so well. I think I might just stick a, a link to that in the show notes where <laughs> we can talk about some other stuff. Um, yeah, but it's that, it, it's that teaching thing I'm, I'm really interested in. And I wondered, there's maybe a starting point. Your approach is very much based around a human rather than a musician mm. and a, a human expressing themselves through music. Um, and I wondered what your sort of thoughts were on the role of a teacher in the modern world where all the information is out there. Right. I have, you know, it's sort of a, um, uh, a collection of things basically, but we tend to dive into the, um, you know, the nuts and bolts of here's an instrument, here's all the notes, here's, a piece of music to look at or a, a song to learn. And there's at the end of the day, a lot of what I call doing music um, kind of activity that goes on. And uh, I think we all do it. And it is a natural part of the, of the equation of the, of the, of the recipe, if you will. But I find that oftentimes in learning and in a lot of teaching, it kind of stops there. And what I've learned about me as a musician is along with doing music, the doing music feels better, sounds better, is more rewarding when I am working to also be musical. And that also leads to, you know, very kind of uh, specific things to work on and to acknowledge and to, um, you know, feel like that you're improving around as far as, you know, that the depth of understanding and awareness and what an experience is. Because I do think that no matter what you do to learn more songs, learn the guitar, you know, licks, whatever it is, um, there's still this hole that's left as far as what's it really mean or what's it feel like when I choose to go play this around certain people and suddenly I'm nervous and I have all these, these levels of, again, kind of human experience and specific emotion that, you know, how do, what do we do with that? And again, a lot of people just get frustrated or they, or they create limits. I can't play this fast or I, you know, I can't do what this person does. I can't improvise. Uh, and I tend to think when we really ultimately combine work to be musical along with the doing music we really we, we were able to hit everything it's more comprehensive ultimately and so again i've worked on all that with me and i felt like for me to be a teacher it's only honest for me to try to uh, cover as much of that as possible and i think that word like that word honest is a really interesting one because one of the things that i've appreciated most like from you but also just from the, the general bluegrass world is there's there's not a a, a strict divide between who is a musician and who is the audience and so mm -hmm. there, there seems to be some honesty and some like you know a simple example of this was I posted something on a guitar Facebook group the other day saying I was playing the same bit over and over again to try and get it into my fingers and you jumped on and went yeah I spent a lot of time on that as well mm -hmm. the, there's a the, the idea that people can see that you've been where they are and you're we're all on a musical journey we're just at different stages of it I think it's a really powerful thing because people forget and they just compare themselves to where they want to get to. Yeah. That, again, that's, that's part of that common sort of limiting stopping place. We're just not quite understanding what everybody deals with, whether you're someone that's been doing something at a relatively high level for a lot of years or somebody that picked up a guitar a month ago, obviously that's two different spots of the journey, but the, the, the technical parts of the journey and, and the human experience level are still very much the same. 
I'm still very much the same, you know, kind of nervous person standing on the side of a stage as I was when I was in my twenties or teens, you know, and uh, that's one of the cool things about working on a lot of these more human elements, uh, or, or experiential elements is that again, you, you never really learn them, but you just learn strategies to help deal with things like performance pressures or anxieties or, or, or even just sort of accepting the beauty of, of what the journey can be. Meaning it's not about a set lick, number or tune number. I mean, there's just always something more to learn and that's not to be oppressive like we'll never get it, but if that's exciting. That's, that's really, I mean, I think ultimately the most rewarding part about it is the fact that we never, never, there's nothing really to just plant the flag and say, I've done it all. There, there's, there's never that part of the journey. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think it's easy for people um, in, in my position and people learning instruments to look at a player like you or I don't know, Chris Thiele or whoever and feel like that you've, you've reached the destination, you're there and you're kind of wandering around enjoying the view. And um, just hearing Chris Thiele talk about his recent album and saying he'd realised that he'd spent years and years as a musician learning and focusing on the instrument. He'd never really thought that hard about how he sang. And mm -hmm. thinking, right, I need to go and spend some time on that. And there is always an, another thing and a, yeah. a new level of depth or a new level of difference. Yeah. I mean, I went through the same thing of just feeling like for years and years I was playing everybody else's songs because I was. And that I'd sort of put it off. I think, I don't know how Thiele would answer this too, but I know in my situation, because I was a professional and busy and kind of relatively, you know, I don't want to say successful, but just had consistent work playing everybody else's songs. And so it was, I was to jump into my own thing, whether it be instrumental writing or certainly uh, lyric writing and, and singing in front of people. I mean, that was completely <laughs> the deep end, the scary, the, you know, so vulnerable and, and such a risky thing to do. Uh, but that's, you know, I've felt a tremendous amount of growth from that. And that's just, you know, again, all in the last four or five years. It's that, uh, the, the album that I think is the, the more I learn, which it's an album that I love on all sorts of levels, but it's, it's full of you because it's your yeah. stories and your, and the, the, the instrumental tracks, all of it, it feels very personal and very like um, centered and from a, a human being rather than from a musician. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, back to the earlier part of the discussion, I think that's what's ultimately so hard for most just uh, aspiring students of something like flat pit guitar is, um, well, you know, I can't be me. I'm, I'm going to do all I can to just sort of hopefully learn a cool David Greer lick. And, um, and again, that's just, such a limit. I mean, you, we all have something to say. And then back to the honesty thing, back to the willingness to be vulnerable, you know, again, that's, that's the hard stuff for, for any of us, but, but so worth it when you, when you can find some kind of angle, whether it's songwriting or, or just, again, like an artist works just to see people just submit a video, <laughs> you know, which, you know, uh, on paper looks pretty easy, but when you, you know, we all know what it's like as soon as you turn the red light on or turn the camera on and, and, you know, it's, it's just a different environment. And Brian Sutton's going to be watching it. You know, yeah, that's, the thought, that's the thought that goes through everybody's head. Um, and it is, it's scary for people. Um, but and I think the interesting, the interesting bit about all of it is it's, it is that, um, it is that journey. And for some people, just getting to the point of submitting a VE might be a massive, massive journey. Some people might find that easy. But um, the phrase you used earlier was having something, we've all got something to say, or we need to mm. feel like we've got something to say. I think that's true. Music is ultimately a language that is there to help us communicate with other people. And yeah, if you just learned a bunch of licks. 
That's the tricky thing about bluegrass is that there's a, it's not a set repertoire, but there are standards and there are just sort of, you know, a lot of people that go to their jam sessions do play the same thing over and over again. And you kind of get into this kind of rote way of doing things. And, and um, again, I think that's part of my role as a teacher to, 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 ex, you know, I don't say expose those things, but just to kind of call those out and say, okay, you know, like even when somebody on artist works or in a workshop, you know, I can sort of tell when something, you know, somebody plays a solo and it's real kind of lick heavy or very scalar or, you know, you can sort of hear people's um, uh, safety mechanisms, you know, when, when they're soloing. I can hear them in me, you know, I know when I'm doing it. Um, and so it's, it's good, to, you know, just kind of recognize where these walls are because when you start breaking those down, then you, even as, again, as it's weird at first, you can start feeling stuff that's unique, stuff, stuff that's, you know, not from Tony Rice or Doc Watson, but maybe some kind of wonderful little mesh of, of that stuff plus some kind of new thing. Uh, and again, that's the exciting thing is that there's just always, always something else to say around the corner. It never, it never totally goes away. Totally. And I, I, how does that, um, how does that feel to sort of start dismantling people's safety mechanisms a little bit when you're not in the room with them, you sort of have to send advice and be kind, but also tell them the truth. Mm -hmm. And then you don't know how they're going to take it necessarily. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I would just hope that at the end of the day, again, me as a person is going to work to deliver that kind of message in a way that's encouraging, not discouraging, you know, feedback is necessary. Constructive criticism is still criticism, but it's hopefully constructive first. And, um, and I think too, I mean, part of when I've been around better teachers, uh, on my own, you know, there, there's some kind of like, and when you do this, this is what you're going to be able to experience. Um, and so again, within all that, there's like, then you're judging some sort of healthy, healthy challenge. Like what's realistic? What's, you know, we're not going to just break you down and suddenly, you know, in five seconds now start sounding like Kenny Smith, but what's, what's one thing we can work on? Again, that's one of the things I felt like I've, uh, I've evolved with as far as teaching is being able to talk about improvisation because it's really hard. Um, when it comes to, you know, personal choices and, and that kind of thing. And what is all, what, what are all the little mechanisms in, in play to, to make a solo happen and examine all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but ultimately again, find, find ways to work on improvisation that kind of pushes all the right buttons in all the right ways. And then again, just, just jump into some kind of sense of this is, this is the work we do and this is what you can expect. That's one of the things I always try to say when we, when we're performing or improvising is that you can expect that improvi improvising is not going to feel like, Hey, I know what's going to happen. You have to accept and from the onset with improvisation, the whole spirit of improvisation is what I call kind of uh, embracing this chaos. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you, you learn to love it. You know, it's like, I have no idea what's around the corner, but it's, but, but the, but the process to kind of explore and, and be real playful, Again, John Hartford always says, play with the music, and I love that. Um, so that, that healthy, playful attitude that you try to encourage, that's not about, you know, let's fur our brows and just bang on this till it's, you know, forged into submission. It's like that's, you know, the, the real healthy attitude is just to let's learn to let go, let's accept and let go. And uh, again, that doesn't mean that it's easy, but it's certainly, a, in the end, a healthier strategy than the continuing to pound or just pile lick upon lick and things like that. Yeah, and it, I guess it is very much like having a conversation and 
when we get together with our friends, we do have the same conversations over and over again because they're easy and they're common and they bind us together. And, but exploring ideas and being able to say things out loud to see how they sound and whether you believe them or not. And a truly yeah. free conversation, I mean, to be able to improvise at that level is takes time and confidence. Yeah, and I think one of the beautiful things about fiddle tunes um, is that on a sort of music theory side, they are they are at heart relatively simplistic. And they are great launch pads for recognizing here's a here's a set little structure and a melody that's fairly accessible at its core. Then let's just see what happens when we twist some things around or fill this space one way this time and another way another time. And and they're just again just such great vehicles for you know always noticing something something different. Again, that's part of that spirit is just just always. Um, you know, having fun in a, in a very playful, what's around the corner, let me let me explore, let me just try stuff out and see what happens. I think one of the things that um, sort of surprised me getting into playing bluegrass guitar was the idea you can do that with your rhythm playing too. Like mm -hmm. I, I sort of thought that the rhythm playing is the rhythm and the improvisation is the lead and that's how, and, but you hear good people play and the rhythm is just as much of a journey and an improvisation as the tune. Yeah, we, we tend to separate one from the other, like you're saying. I think a lot of people just say, here's here's me just learning the chords of the song. And I think it also stems from a point, I don't want to mess up. So I'm just going to you know really sort of plant these chords in the right spot. But I do think we forget that that's the song too, just as much as the melody is. And when you when you have worked on some of both, and, and you know, I always encourage, you know, on a rhythmic front or, or an improvisational front, to, to sort of internalize that core version of the melody that you can kind of sing along in your head while you're playing the chords. And just the rises and falls, the ebbs and flows, the space uh, spaces around that, that core melody, you know, that's, again, that's, that's where all the, that, those are the spots for, that are ripe for, you know, trying various things out, little walking runs or extra strums or a cross-picking kind of moment. Um, again, there's, when you learn to look for the opportunities, then you start seeing more of the opportunities. Yeah, and that is that that idea of e even with the tune itself, what the core tune is like. Coming to this as a British guy who didn't grow up around bluegrass or much American music at first at all, just hearing these tunes and starting to try and learn them and go, well, what what is the actual what is mm -hmm. what is what is the actual tune? And every everybody plays it slightly differently. Each book's got a different version in it. And at first, that's quite frustrating, quite intimidating. And in time, it's massively liberating. Because yeah, well, the I mean, scope for your version of whiskey before breakfast and somebody <laughs> else's version. Yeah, which is well, again why, what I love about the fact that you know, when I say you literally with a song like whiskey before breakfast, you have a hundred guitar players, you're going to hear a hundred versions of whiskey before breakfast. But the reason that it's good to notice that is that what you can gather from all that information is that there is still something similar. And what is that? What is that core kind of connective? scaffolding or structure or or this, the essential sequence of notes is what i call it that that ultimately define that from some other song and and when you can locate that again that's it's like discovering the skeleton and then you can kind of you know throw different bits of this and that and the other thing and on on top of it and again that that's to back to the improvisational challenges to feel feel these goals hit where you sort of feel you but also feel the song being communicated and that's for me. That's 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 kind of the target, at least with with fiddle tune improvisation, to feel like I am kind of informed by that melody, but also 
completely engaging as much as I can, and, and that's this sort of healthy, reactive, improvisational mindset. It's not easy, but it's worth working on. And an exciting thing to to sort of be be in a moment of having a, having a go at doing it and seeing where you end up. I think I, I I might have made this up, but I I feel like I've heard you said recently that um, the three the sort the three elements really of approaching a song is the instrument, the song, and you. And yeah. Each of those has a different thing to contribute, and you know some people focus on one or two of those bits. Yeah, I think I mean again from where we started, the the guitar is such a uh, a constraint and such a such a challenge just to kind of feel like we we build a certain fluency and understanding and just you know ability around the fretboard and then yeah learning the songs the repertoire but again I always come back to that there's the experience of of you, of you noticing these things happening in real time and then what does that feel like that's you know what is reaction about and 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 how do you know how do you even know to be aware and again that's I just like uh, for me, again, those, when I when I started being able to open up those doors for me, I felt like everything got deeper and better and more rewarding, ultimately. Uh, and again, as a teacher, that's my hope, ultimately, is that just knowing that those doors are there and that they can be opened. Uh, I think that's 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 the again, that's the goal for me. And do you do you find that the things people come to you to learn are? Did you find, uh, so my, my example of this was I, my very first B that I submitted, I sent it, I think it was Whiskey for Breakfast, actually, and um, thinking, right, Brian's going to teach me some cool stuff. And the first thing he went was like, nice, move your arm a bit, it'll sound better. And I was like, oh, I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. Like, I got what I needed, not what I wanted. And so I spent a week or two moving my arm a bit, and it sounded better. And now all my playing sounds better, and it sounds very simple. But I could have watched... Yeah videos or dvds or read books for years and learned all the licks and not got that right i think that i mean to the the beautiful kind of marriage of you and your experience and the guitar is the fact that again what i well i'm i'm, I'm filling my brain full of things to say and it's all wanting to come out at the same time um one of my goals as a teacher is also to, to help people do what they already do better and what does better mean? You know, again, better is tone, better is groove. Before we talk about, you know, all the fancy improvisational opportunities or licks or variations or whatever, let's let's really try to understand what you operating the instrument can feel like when, when things are optimized, when you're really communicating inherently this pocket and groove with good tone. Let's let's go there first. I always feel like that's that's kind of goal number one. Um, Again, like what I was saying earlier, that that without the improvisational part of the discussion, just to the core of just what kind of sound is being created when any one of us sit with a guitar. Again, that's really unique. A lot of us do feel like I want to sound like Tony Rice, and I've been down that road a lot in my career and come to a certain acceptance of like, well, I'm not going to sound like Tony Rice. I'm going to sound like me. And so can I optimize me? And that's the answer to that is, is yes. And so, again, those are those are doors that I like to open and they're, and they're, and they're generally more accessible doors to open with students than, all right, let's go imagine whiskey before breakfast, 50 different ways and see what happens. Because I think the, the, the positive feedback of feeling a better sound, uh, and, and feeling at least more, I want to say in control, but just trust, uh, trusting or, or knowing that a groove is more predictable where again, fiddle to the simplistic nature of fiddle tunes, it's a pretty can be kind of boiled down to pretty simple churn of eighth notes, right? That's what we talk about. 
And if I can feel that, again, as part of my core information, that does create a settled experience upon which I know, for me at least, my improvisation is better. If, if I'm not settled, the ideas that come out of me, how I'm communicating is not settled. It's, it's tight and frenetic and kind of scared sounding. Uh, but if I can be more settled and, and, and feel settled, feel more calm, the ideas that come out are better. So it, it all kind of feeds on each other um, when it comes to putting all that together, the guitar, the songs, and, and, the, and the human experience. Yeah, and I guess I guess confidence to explore comes from trusting what you'll bring into the table and knowing that things aren't like you know that you, you know you're around the fretboard. I mean, you're not going to get halfway up the neck and go, "Oh, now where do I go from here?" Or yeah. you're not, you know, just trusting that there's some stuff that you know and you've controlled and you've learned and you've internalized, and then the rest of it is what happens on the moment, in the moment <laughs> on the day, you know. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, again, to sort of any kind of teaching strategy, that's what I've learned is as simple as you can make certain things, the better off. So that's why, again, anybody that comes through my door at ArtistWorks is going to be playing a lot of one string with a metronome for a little while just to try to unpack what true quality, not necessarily in a melody, but just like I call it, the, the how we play, the mechanics and techniques as it relates to uh, a, a, a groove that communicates or a feel and, and, and notes that are optimized. You know, I think we can do that with one note and if, if nothing else, just for the experience of it. And again, to your term confidence, I like to use competence first, you know, competence breeds more confidence. So if we can start laying the foundations for some kind of competency, um, that's what we trust. And then when we trust, then we feel confident about what confident about what we know that we worked on and feel and feel competent around yeah and i'm definitely going on a bit of a journey with that myself at the moment i've kind of realized through submitting a couple of these to you talking about improvisation that i i've realized that i'm capable of playing a groove and i'm capable of generating ideas but actually i just don't know my instrument as well as i ought to and so i go to places yeah. and I, I run out of you know knowing where to get back or where to go or and then it doesn't matter how good your ideas or your groove is if you if you run out of notes yeah, sure. And but I think the, 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 the powerful thing there is that is that you are through some self-discovery coming to terms with where the work needs to happen. Um, I think for a lot of people, again, it's like, what am I going to be frustrated about today? The lack of, well, that solo sucked, but at least my tone was terrible. You know, it's um, <laughs> if we can at least kind of just pinpoint some healthy things to, to work on. And again, I'm the same way where where, yeah, I, I'm pretty confident in, even in my ability to work myself around the fretboard and get out of weird little improvisational corners. And I'm, again, I've accepted my sound. <laughs> I'm not going to sound like Tony Rice, but it's going to sound like me. And it's going to be all right. Uh, and I can generally settle into a groove. But, but what I work on, what I notice is the main thing is this, is this, uh, this true trust of, of that moment. And I, I still just, you know, to this day kind of battle these these moments in my improvisation where it's not about I don't know the fretboard but it's I don't trust it as much I don't trust I don't trust me as much as I need to especially like in performance moments so again we've all got we've all got our stuff but but the, my point of this was just as you just unpack a lot of this uh, with regards to just how you're moving how you're sounding what is what is the guitar what is what are the what is the song what is you you know somewhere in there as you learn more about that you can um, you can pinpoint a little more specifically what what are the good things to work on 
Yeah, and I think and I think sort of looping back to something you said earlier about um, sort of realistic expectations about where you can get to and where you, you know how, the order that can happen. In. It's a it's sort of uh, I, I think you're right. I've sort of come to an understanding of where I need to put some work in. And it's there's an old British joke, and I'm sure there's an American equivalent of it. But you know, somebody's driving around some lanes in the middle of the countryside and totally lost, and stops and says, "Oh, how do I get to so and so?" And the person goes, "Well, wouldn't start from here." Like <laughs> we we can only start from here, and that yeah, is, right. that that's sort of a lesson in itself. And and so many of those simple lessons apply to music as much as they do life, because yeah, right, because ultimately they're the same thing. <laughs> yeah, sure. And you you don't know what you don't know. And I yeah. think that the more you, you spend at the, the life lesson of just acknowledging that and, and doing something to sort of amend that, I think that's part of the, I mean, just to expand the life journey. That's a, that's a, that's a good one for all of us. And I think that you don't know, you don't, what you don't know is I think at first you get a sort of false confidence from realizing, you know, something and then we get mm-hmm. giddy and we make a load of progress really quickly. And then all of a sudden you dive right in and realize what you don't know. And a lot of people, there's somebody, I'm not going to mention any names, but somebody posted on the, the shout box on the artist work site the other day, just she had a musical experience and sort of been slightly deflated by it because she realized how much she didn't know. Mm-hmm. And everybody immediately rallied around. It was like, no, you're like, you're doing really well. You're great. You're on a journey and you'll get there. And, and it's true, isn't it? But I think we all have those moments of just sort of coming up against the cliff face and going, Oh, that's a long way up. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, there's humility, there's honesty, there's just recognizing that. I mean, I don't try to make things so, sort of competitive feeling, but I know that there are quote unquote better guitar players than me. But again, what I, what I hope is to not again, kind of feel any kind of oppression around that, but like, what is, what is that, that this other player has that I, I would like to feel again, that's, I've done that a lot for me where it's not about, let me go learn their solo. But if I look at a guy like Julian Lodge, who for me is at this sort of exists in this stratosphere of, of, musicians that hold a guitar and uh you know so i look at him and i've been around him he's such a sweet guy and his his attitude is so open and inviting and so that's the lesson you know be open inviting because i mean it, it it affects julian in some way his playing is is again a lot of that what i was saying earlier there's there's this freedom and trust there uh that again just to, to hear him talk about it it's not that he's got some kind of superhero ability. He's, he will admit to his humanity as much as any of us. And that's good. So, um, I understand. That, yeah. The, the, the cliff you mentioned is basically our making. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think it's the, the path to the top is usually a long, gentle incline. You just got to keep going up. It's generally not a cliff. It's just, you've got to put a foot forward and get a little bit higher up every day. Haven't you? Um, that's it. Uh, but I think, yeah, definitely that um, that idea that uh, there are people. So, I, you know, one of the biggest struggles I had starting this podcast was the idea that oh, how am I qualified to do a bluegrass guitar podcast because I'm learning this stuff myself. And um, I just sort of talked myself around and went, like, you, somebody else could play these things better than you, but you you will bring to it what you bring to it, and people might mm-hmm. respond to that and they might not, and that's okay. Just be do an honest version of it that is you. And yeah, you know, it's been it's been a a brilliant journey to go on and I've learned a lot and I'm having conversations like this as a result, which is, you know, yeah. a real privilege. I mean, there's a lot of my career that, that bears to that same, I'm not sure that I'm ready for this kind of feeling. I mean, the whole artist works thing was that way where I, I, I was a student of their first 
school site slash site and uh, just really loved it and thought this would be cool for bluegrass and um, you know just one thing led to another and I eventually found myself with the opportunity to do this but kind of scared to death about it too because I'd I had a lot of general thoughts about a lot of what you know the core of what I'm doing now still is but just had never articulated that a lot um, the format works but it's just especially on the at the onset of building kind of what we call the curriculum it's just hard to know <laughs> how people are going to respond to it uh, so anyway the point is is that that was for me as a couple of things in my career as a musician have sort of represented I don't know if I'm ready for this but it seems like a really cool thing to do so okay <laughs> um, I was telling somebody that yesterday I mean the very first recording session that I ever got hired to play the producer called the night before and said do you play mandolin and I said sure <laughs> and I owned a mandolin but um, never really played it more than you know a second or two at a time so it was me the night before the session making sure the thing played in tune and had strings and figured out where G C and D and other chords and uh, all this kind of stuff was going to be and and here I go and uh, I think that's you know maybe some of us are wired a little more to to dive into stuff like that than not but I just I think for me it's just recognizing recognizing an opportunity and um, again a certain willingness it's going it's going to be okay <laughs> I've done a lot of learning on the job and the same thing with artist works where again well, I'm thankful that uh, I have been able to use some of this downtime to go out there and refilm a lot of the sort of core curriculum that feels like it's rep more representative of where I am and where the site is after 10 years of doing it so you know yeah because um, I guess your relationship with teaching and your view of how to teach must have changed over 10 years yeah again I, I mean I, I came out of the gate with a lot of the basic again like I said basic thinking basic philosophy if you will kind of in place but just you know like a lot of things I just hadn't done it a lot so I've got 10 years now of experience of talking about this stuff and um and feel like like you know if somebody signs on to artist works they're going to see thousands of these little conversations and then this other whole part of the site which is sort of the curriculum all the exercises and core videos that you know I just right now I, I, I well the way I'll put it is that uh, I'm seeing more opportunity for connecting the good conversations in the VEs with exactly what's in the curriculum and so that's what I've aimed to kind of amend a bit or create more healthy connection there which right now it's just my general efforts 10 years ago which were again some well-meaning things but as I've evolved and gotten better at it, um, again, it's um, it'll what what is coming will reflect that. And I think that talks a bit to your point about taking opportunities and not being afraid to. I, my day job is I work in the world of tech, and I'm not a technical person, but I work around technical people. And there's a, a definite attitude of just get something out there. They call it minimum viable mm. product. Just get get something out, let people use it, see what works, see what doesn't, and fix the bits that don't. And if by doing it partway through the people are using it for an entirely different thing than you thought they would go with it you know and it's just that yeah, learning on the job i've noticed that about yeah lots of tech-based stuff and and you know whether it's our cell phones or what and it's interesting to think about that as an analogy because i i, I inherently don't agree with that but i'm coming more and more around to that idea of what did you call it minimal working minimum viable product minimum viable product that's a that's a good that's a good thing because I think that I mean it it speaks to the 
your your core intent can be the same, but I think a lot, I mean, to the guitar part, maybe if, if we just feel like we're never quite ready to go to a jam session and we feel like we've got to learn, you know, six more songs before I can go to a jam session, you know, really the, you don't need, you'll always, again, a healthy jam is always going to provide you from, for some opportunity to play something you don't know or to the, to your other point where no matter what you do to learn a particular song, it's probably going to be played in a different tempo or maybe even a different key than you've learned it. Um, when you go to a jam session. So it, that's, that's cool. That's, anyway. And you may, you may learn your <laughs> half dozen tunes and make it to the jam and they don't play any of them. And yeah, at, yeah. at least by going that time, you you found out what they do play and you can go and learn them. <laughs> There's always something to be learned from interacting. That's true. Yeah. Um, so the, it, it definitely feels like the, with the artist works thing, you're sort of, maybe not like a, a version two, but definitely deepening the connection of some of the work and building on it and sort of strengthening some of the bits that you feel have been thrown up through just interact the, the lessons interacting with students over 10 years. Um, in terms of you as, as a kind of a musician, a recording artist, a writer, what's, are you sort of looking to continue in the sort of general vein of um, the more I learn? Is that, is that where your, your sort of heart is at the moment? It's weird for me. I, uh, again, that, that record and a part of the one that I did before it called Into My Own kind of represented me dipping my toe deeper and deeper into the these sort of unknown waters of just honesty and vulnerability. And, and, um, and not to say that I'm done with that, but, but that was such a process for me to to do all the, write the songs, put the record together, had a band and toured with a band for a little over a year. Um, on the sort of music business front, it was kind of weird because I got to the point where, okay, I've, I've built this sort of machine and it's off the ground and it's sort of operating at a, um, again, it was a minimum viable product, <laughs> minimally viable product. And it was working it, you know, it was, uh, I was getting gigs and playing festivals and, and as a professional, I'm thinking, how can I fit this into my balance? My life is always about balance of recording sessions and and at the time was Hot Rise um, touring and, and other sort of things that just tend to pop up. Like now it's the Bela Fleck thing. Um, and do I have the bandwidth to pursue like this Brian Sutton band energy full tilt or half tilt? And the way the music business works, especially in the world of bluegrass, is that it, I mean, it, it takes a lot of touring to break even. You know, it's, 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 it's not a deep pocket world. Yeah. for most people that are out there. And so I was, I felt like this was a goal met to get this thing going off the ground, working, standing in front of people, you know, night after night, doing the touring, being a band leader. And it was great. I, again, I'd put that off for a lot of years. Um, but all that to say, you know, I got to this point of like, well, how do I now want to keep this going? I think there's a lot of things with whatever anyone's business kind of uh, goals are where it's like, okay, I've, I've done all this initial work and now it's there. And now what am I going to do to just keep it going? And it was in that trying to process, what do I have to do now to keep this going? Or like I said earlier, involve this now into the balance of these other things that sometimes even just with what I've already got going on is hard, sort of feels like three full-time jobs sometimes. Um, and so I just came to this realization that, you know, at least for where I was, I wasn't inspired to just continue to pursue that. Uh, and again, not that I'm done, but 
I did feel that I just wanted to kind of take some time off from that kind of energy and, uh, and also not try to push or force the idea that, okay, I've got this new record and new material for when that record came out. And now I've got to follow it up with better or more. And I've just decided to think to just not push it and not, ins or, or not force anything and just see what happens a little more naturally and organically. And, um, then, you know, so that was also, again, with, with hot rides touring and my general performance, you know, again, with all this, all this kind of flying around my head, as far as where all, where I find myself and all this, I think the bottom line that I should say is that, um, I wasn't like immediately on fire to go do another one and still am not as far as that me as an artist, songwriter, singer, I'm still extremely active as a session player and touring guy and, and the artist works energy, right? That's generally my balance, but, uh, it's, so it's, it's curious to see, I, I, again, I, I put a lot of energy in kind of making that other side of me happen. And I'm not sure I'm real, I guess maybe I'm not sure where it's going to go from here. <laughs> I'll, I'll acknowledge some, uh, some unknown. Does it, does it feel like the last, I mean, for so many people, the last 18 months have shifted the balance and I guess not being able to play sessions and not being able to tour and probably I would imagine getting a huge ton more of students through artist works because everybody sat at home looking for things to do is yeah has it sort of changed your your view of that balance in any way um it's changed not from you know like an artist perspective of here's what i feel like i want to write or say or sing uh but just as a music business professional you know that was uh that was the rug pulled out um i actually was planning on kind of dipping back a little bit in 2020 i had you know the guitar camp uh, uh, a couple other festivals where i was sort of a soloist or sort of just a, a guest of the festival to kind of hang out and sit in with people and you know i uh, had a pretty full schedule of that from you know spring through uh, early fall of 2020 and then again th those just all fell like dominoes and so it was it was it was strange uh but then yeah artist works kind of really took off um basically kind of doubled in energy there, not necessarily students, but just, again, the people that were already students just were using the site more. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, you know, that has settled some, but still, <laughs> uh, still not quite back to pre pre pandemic numbers. Um, but the sessions in Nashville, that was another crazy thing. Cause we were shut down for about two months completely. Studios were locked, but then once things started opening again, because Nashville is what it is, um, everybody was home just as we were last year. And so <laughs> it was funny, you know, it's like I probably played on more, uh, Christmas records or let's do some hymns. Let's do acoustic versions of our hits. Let's do a Merle Haggard tribute record. Um, just let's keep content going, you know, for these fans, even though we're not touring. So all the, all the big label record cycles were put on hold, but there was still a lot of work, uh, going on in studios in Nashville. And just so, and so much content, I mean, from like a, a sort of a fan and a consumer point of view, just see, being able to sit for an hour and a half and watch you do an artist takeover for bourgeois guitars or like the, you can experience hours and hours of people's musical output without going to a gig or buying their record these days. You know, you can yeah. be a huge fan of somebody you've never actually interacted financially with. And that's probably right. going to be a struggle as well because there's so much content being pumped out in the last 18 months. People yeah, expect that's, as when I sit back and, and was, you know, this time last year kind of thinking about how we might be 
rounding a certain corner a year ago, which we, we did basically uh, as the vaccine became more and more available and kind of saw that next or tw spring 2021 20, into the summer probably would, would equal more touring. But yeah, everybody's out in the road. Uh, it was just, so it's been curious to see how that's going to go. But, you know, so far, so good. I, I never was. Um, again, I, I guess I'm not like such a primary kind of performer. I, I don't just look at that as like this is what I need to do all the time. Um, so I didn't do as much of that as other people. Uh, but really happy for David Greer. I mean, I, I was I was just one of hundreds and hundreds of people around the world that would sit on the couch on Tuesday night and watch the David Greer band uh, and loved it. <laughs> and what a treat, right? Yeah, and that, so and that's, cool. And that's the thing, to be able to, there's, I, you know, I'm in a, a different position in that I live over in the UK and a lot of the the big name American bluegrass musicians, financially not that viable to come over here, um, particularly yeah. in the moment. Um, but to get to see well-recorded live streamed shows that you either paid for or you didn't but there's suddenly things that you know i'm able to see that wouldn't have had a chance otherwise yeah it's uh well i think it just speaks to a, a fundamental human resilience no matter what i mean I, I like to try to in all the negatives try to find some kind of shred of of uh of positive stuff and you know david greer is going to find a way to play <laughs> you know that's what he does and uh, again, I'm proud of him and proud for him and happy for all of us to have been able to and continue watch watch him do his thing. But yeah, just I, I think I want to think that humans are going to be more resilient than not in situations like this and figure it out. And that certainly seems to have happened. We haven't had a choice and it's some unpleasant things have come out of this. But a, a huge amount of um, maybe this is hope talking rather than anything, but just the idea that we all maybe want to connect a bit more and we realized yeah. that some of the connection in society got a bit fragmented we've lived through some pretty divisive times you certainly have in your country we certainly have in ours to the point where we've, mm -hmm. we've, we've left a continent um and and it, yeah. it divides people but i think we have had a a year or so of people going i'm not sure we want that anymore i think maybe realizing that we are all in the same we're on the same team even if we don't necessarily yeah. agree how we should be playing the game sure yeah, I mean, it's just that's I tend to think about that on a uh, on a global level. How a pandemic is not an American or a British or or uh, Chinese issue. Ultimately, it's I mean, it's tr it's a no matter what at this point, it's a it's a global issue. And it's just interesting to think about how every person on this planet is affected by the one same thing right now, and for better or for worse. It's there's uh, again we can lean toward the hope, hopeful side that we will we will. Uh, again, find more resilience and, and the positive stuff in, in that for a force togetherness than not, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, I think it'd be interesting to see. I think we're going to go through a quick phase of reacting to the past 18 months, and then there's probably a third phase beyond that where everything rebalances again. And But I, it's been a, an opportunity, like certainly personally, an opportunity for me. I've really reconnected with playing music in the past. It's been long periods where I haven't done it, and... So the interesting thing of that is coming back to it and now being a parent and all sorts of other things, you realize that it all makes mm -hmm. all of it makes you better at all the rest of it. Being a parent makes me a better musician, which makes me a better parent, which makes me a better employee, which makes me a better runner, which makes me a better parent, which makes me, you know, it's everything. Yeah. There's the, you, you are not a bunch of individual things. You are a collection of different ways of expressing the same thing. Yeah. I mean, my lesson through this sort of permission to, uh, to not hustle, last spring and summer 
because I'm, I'm a hustler. I, I just, I tend to, I, I don't call myself a workaholic, but I'm just, I keep things busy <laughs> as yeah. a self-employed person. And so when all that stopped, um, again, it was sort of disconcerting for a while, but it was a good lesson for me. And I've actually borrowed from that this year, knowing kind of how busy this year was, uh, up to basically July, mid July, uh, and with the Bela Fleck tour kind of on the heels here uh, of that starting in a couple of weeks, I made a commitment that I've never done in my whole life as a, as a professional session player, which is basically to shut down. Uh, I sort of quarantined myself from Nashville uh, through the month of August here. And uh, it's been good. It was, it was scary because, again, because I've never done it. But it just felt like I needed that time. I needed to just decompress a bit. And again, prepare for the touring that's coming up, and uh, and so that was good. That was that was a bit of that lesson, the kind of like you say of just what's going to ultimately make me a better husband, father, musician, teacher, all this kind of stuff. And uh, you know, taking the time I need for me is is something that usually doesn't happen. But that was that's that was the exercise in August, and uh, it's worked. Oh, that's good to hear. Does the with the teaching does there reach a point? Is there will there reach a tipping point where there are more students than you can respond to? Because well, that's the, a great the, amount, the amount of work you put in and the amount of responses I see coming onto the site every day, it's not a simple yeah, task. It is not. You know, there are there are more people on the site than submit, and you just never know. Historically, in that's with that sort of format. There, there is a certain kind of predictable percentage of people that will kind of feel like, okay, these are, you know, really engaged users using 100% of what that site can offer. Um, and maybe that percentage is around 10. And that's generally pretty manageable. Uh, but again, it kind of ebbs and flows. Right now, it's, it's up. Um, and the way, the best way I can kind of describe that is... Um, because again, it's just something that, as it's grown, I've had to just involve that into my just general maintenance and balance of, of, of life. I mean, I, I, I have to give that time each week. Uh, I don't want to get behind. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, it's always changing. But it, it's never felt uh, not manageable. It's never felt oppressive as far as like, oh, I got to do these again. Um, and I think, too, I mean for me, I've tried to just always lock into this attitude. Like every chance I get to sit in front of a camera and talk to somebody about, you know, tone or groove or whiskey before breakfast or improvisation or a G run is, is an opportunity that, and again, I wanted that. And, and I still feel that just like when I step on stage and play music, I, I one of my goals for myself is to notice joy and notice what's potentially joyful about any of these situations. And I just, I really love artist works and I love doing it. And the more I can tap into that, even the, even the weeks where it's, there's a lot, uh, again, I just, I enjoy that opportunity to, to just go there with, with folks. Um, and if anything, it kind of makes me more willing to, to have some of those difficult discussions with folks to one of your questions earlier of how you sort of broach certain subjects that might be, tricky or whatever, um, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm committed and I'm not going to like halfway do it. And so if not halfway doing it means, you know, 
having hard conversations. I remember a few years ago with a particular student where, for whatever reason, <laughs> we got way deep into the like, what are your fears and, and you know, what's, what are these, you know, not just about the lack of knowledge of the fretboard, but just, you know, some of the real human, you know, stuff. And that was one of the first, time, first times that that happened. I'm like, oh, wow, we're, we're really pushing some buttons here beyond just, you know, here's, here's a D scale that's starting at the 10th fret. And, and that was, you know, it was interesting. Just, wow, this is, this is a real conversation and, it, and it's good. Anyway, all that to say, I mean, that's maintaining that kind of focus and attitude is, is something that I try to do. You know, and I think be that's willing, committed, be, be, you know, always recognize the joy in it. And I think that's uh, maybe a beautiful place to kind of wind things up because that's a, that's a sentiment that we can, take into life like the idea i think life gets busy and life is busy and life is complicated these days and there's so many decisions to make on a daily basis that it's so easy to not see the joy and to see the one cloud that covers the sun and think that's the weather and yeah and it's 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 hard thing to stop and go i'm gonna go into this positive looking for some joy and i will find some and i think i think that's you know a lovely a lovely thing to aim for so if people want to hear a bit more about Artist Works, uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Well, the website is artistworks, uh, dark, uh, artistworks.com. I think if uh, just Google Artist Works and my name, Brian with a Y, it should take you right there. And there's Great. <laughs> there, there's always a sale. So um, <laughs> I've noticed there's always a sale. <laughs> um, I, I'll stick a link in the show notes so people can click straight through to that as well. Um, and there, is there any anything else you've got going on you want to promote? I know obviously the um, the Baylor tools coming up. That's going to be exciting. Yeah, I mean that's that's a huge focus for me right now. Again, as far as my primary musical outlet will be um, touring with him starting in mid September. It's all in the states. Um, all the dates are on uh, BaylorFleck.com, and so far they're all still there, and that's good. Uh, but there's a batch, the touring, it's really cool. You know, it's Sierra Hull and Michael Cleveland and Justin Moses, Mark Schatz and, uh, Bailey and myself. And then in the fall or later in the year, uh, late fall, uh, November into December is Edgar Meyer and Sam Bush and Jerry Douglas and Stuart Duncan, uh, with Bailey and I, and, uh, basically what does that tell you ride house band? Um, and it's, what's fun about that is we only do like one gig a year. And so this is actually, you know, a whole tour. And I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, there's two fun bands to be in for the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to complain. That's why I, you know, hopefully things will maintain, or the the tour schedule will maintain itself as we go. You know, I'm not trying to prepare myself if things get canceled or or adjust in some dramatic way. But um, so far, so good. Great. Well, good luck with the tour. I hope you enjoy it. Um, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this. It's been a joy chatting to you. And um, hopefully, if everybody else enjoys listening half as much as I've enjoyed doing it, then they're going to have a great time. Cool. Thanks, Matt. And congratulations to you. It's really cool to see, you know, just all your inclusion in the site and, and creating the, the, the podcast and, and uh, you know, your, what you've done. As you say, you felt maybe not ready for it or, or qualified. But, you know, that's the if there's a beautiful thing about togetherness and, and community is that there generally is a spot for everybody and you just got to jump in and that's the good thing about bluegrass is that, you know, whether it's a Facebook group or artist works or a bluegrass jam, I mean, it's, it's community, it's people doing 
doing things together and you're providing a cool opportunity for, for you and a lot of other people. And that, that's really neat to see. There we have it. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, it was, yeah, as I say, a joy to be part of that. And I can't thank Brian enough for taking the time to do it. Um, if you enjoyed it, don't forget to also go and check out the interviews I did with Marcel Ardans of Lessons with Marcel, which was brilliant, and Jake Eddy of the Becky Buller Band, uh, both on the podcast podcast already, so go and check those out. Um, I'll stick links in the show notes to all the stuff we talked about, um, not just Brian's course at Artist Works, but if you're a banjo player, dobro player, bass player, fiddle player, um, mandolin player, there's some great teachers on there for you as well, like Sierra Hull, uh, Michael Daves, Noam Pakelny, Mike Marshall, I mean the list of people playing teaching you to play instruments and artist works is is sort of phenomenal so i'll stick links to all the different courses so you can go and check those out too um i will link to the everyone loves guitar interview that brian did that i mentioned as well because i think that's a really cool listen just about his sort of life story how he got into bluegrass what his journey was and rather than just repeat all that here i thought it'd just be cool for you to go and listen to that because that's also a great podcast um and that's it Hopefully I will have some more exciting interviews for you sooner than the 200th episode. That's definitely the plan. I'm lining some up now as we speak. Uh, But the first 100 episodes have been a blast and I'm looking forward to the next. So thanks for listening and as always, happy picking. Bluegrass Jamalong is proud to be sponsored by Collings Guitars and Mandolins, making some of the finest guitars and mandolins in the world since the 1970s. Visit collingsguitars.com and find out why.